Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of What Do You Know About That? How's it going, Mary Angela? Oh good, Eric. How are you? I am doing just lovely here. We had a um, an amazing event for those of you in the neighborhood who happened to stumble across the uh, Rubicam Summerfest that happened at the end of June, hosted by our good friend Jacopo, who was a guest on the show. I got to MC the main stage. He had two stages set up with live music. It was on a Sunday. It was amazing. Huge turnout. So, yeah, off to a great start for this summer. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, no, can't complain. That was really good. That same day I was at Attic taking care of some candles and we're talking to the community, it was really, really nice. Selling candles in the beer garden, huh? Yeah, yeah it was nice. Awesome. So what happened uh, this day in science? Happy Thursday, first of all. Well, happy Thursday <laughs> to you as well. This day in science, July 14th. This is actually an interesting one that you'll appreciate. I'm sure some of our listeners out there will know, because I think everyone remembers when the meme popped up, uh, but back in 2017, researchers document Earth's most indestructible species. Can you take a guess as to what that is? Uh, no. <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell you. So researchers from the University of Oxford, England, published a report on the tardigrade, a microscopic, nearly indestructible life form they believe will survive until the sun fails. Known colloquially as the water bear, the oh. tardigrave can survive more than 30 years, 30 years without food or water, can endure the vacuum of space and temperatures of 150 degrees Celsius, and has a natural lifespan of 60 years. After thorough analysis, biologists suggested that an event would need to literally boil the Earth's oceans to destroy the tardigrade. Wow. That's a pretty so, interesting factoid, that's right? That's pretty crazy. Well, that game, Bears vs. Babies, that we play has a water bear, and it's a weird-looking thing. And I never knew what it was, and now I know what it is. So our guest TJ, who was on a few episodes back, he's modified his initials numerous times on social media, and... Ever since I think this one hit, he's adopted tardigrade for tea. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah, apparently it's made quite an impression on him, as I'm sure many people. The tardigrade is a bit of a uh, miniature superhero. Yeah, hmm. that's kind of cool. Crazy. Yes, indeed. So what's happening in the neighborhood, Mary Angela? Well, uh, I have a couple fun things to talk about, but the first one I'll talk about, which I think is fitting for the time of year is, you know, usually the boards are all about like, okay, 4th of July is over. Please stop shooting off fireworks. We're all trying to live our lives, like cut it the heck out. Well, um, a, a rather cheeky individual on the next door app that I follow decided that he was going to start the conversation by posting the following. It says, <laughs> uh, and I quote, 
Please keep your children and dogs quiet the next couple of mornings. Some of us have been up all night shooting off fireworks. Thanks in advance. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, can you guess how many comments oh, this particular post has imagine. right now? Just guess. Throw a number out. Oh, maybe 150. 272 comments. Wow. Right. And it literally just started the downfall of like, my poor dogs and all this stuff. And I and believe me, I fully understand pets do not handle it's fireworks. It's like PTSD. It is PTSD. Yep. I, and I'm, I'm not poo-pooing that at all. I'm just like, either we vote and ban that kind of situation, or we have to stop like just constantly... Well, I personally am not a fan it. only because I can't distinguish between fireworks sometimes and, you know, if a gun's going off, I no, hate 100%, to say that. No, 100%. Yes. And in the city, that is a legitimate concern. Yeah, not, not a fan. Um, also, it is startling, you know, particularly yeah. if you're close. You don't know. Um, I'm always worried because I see on my um, Citizen app that, you know, people set their homes on fire accidentally with them. They, excuse me, set trees on fire in their yards. You know, not to mention scaring all the, the neighbors. And the fact that there are places to go to see fireworks, pretty impressive fireworks, I might add, um, makes me think that, like, if you live in the city, you really probably don't need to shoot off fireworks in your yard. <laughs> well, I and again, I understand the freedom of choice, but to your point, does have a direct impact to the quality of lives of others around you it does when we're all living so close to each other for sure but i really just felt like this individual was just ready to stir the pot and let the floodgates open and maybe it was because he hadn't seen a post yet about it or maybe it was because he you know wanted to complain himself and was just like waiting for others to start the avalanche but um 272 comments later it's a a little bit poking the bear for me (laughs) Yeah, I, I feel like he definitely was, you know, kind of deserving of that. Yeah, making a point, but um, it was it was an interesting one. But what do you got on your radar? Uh, well, some things maybe bigger picture of Philadelphia. Well, I I did want to I on a more like a public service note. You know, there there was a, a serious incident that occurred at Germantown and Coulter, as everyone knows. There was a young woman who was hit and killed. It was a hit and run. That person eventually did turn themselves in. I had seen posts that people had made of that strip on Germantown where they actually had set up a speedometer so that as you're driving, you know, it actually shows you on a digital display how fast you're driving. But, you know, we all know, and we talk about it on the show a lot, but I guess just wanted to emphasize here and now it's it's so important to just be aware and cautious as you're driving especially on these busy streets in the neighborhood and keep an eye out for pedestrians we do exist it's true (laughs) so please public service note um maybe on a more positive note i came across something that was this is more of like an experience kind of thing um it's an alice in wonderland themed experience and stop me if i mentioned this one before but it's in, I think it's the date is October 22nd. So coming up here shortly, but it's intended to be like an experience, not like a uh, an escape game necessarily, but for one day, the streets of Old City, Philadelphia will be transforming into a giant escape room style. Okay, so it is an escape room yeah, style. Yeah, I was like, everything I saw said it was an escape game. You got to okay. get clues. It's a game. You have to okay. sign up as a team, teams of six. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's like a whole day solving games. It's oh my god, the the tickets are redonkulous expensive. 
But a lot of these escape games totally team. are. That's not per person. That That's pri- per team. That price should be six per players. team. Six people per team. So you get six friends to split that price, and you all go play. Yep. Okay. So that's actually pretty reasonable compared. Because yeah. a lot of escape games I've seen, they're like usually like 30 bucks a head oh, yeah. Yeah. or something. And then I guess maybe keeping with that fantasy theme, had you ever heard about the uh, – there's a bar um, downtown, I believe. It's called The Cauldron, but it's kind of a – I don't think it's intentionally supposed to be Harry Potter themed because of copyright, but it's like a magical bar. (laughs) Um, It's magical. It's magical. magical. It says it's on Locust Street here, but uh, it's one of these kind of things from my understanding is it's, it's kind of an experience too. Like you, you go there, you, you pay for an experience. It's not just hanging out in a themed bar necessarily, but um, also I guess to tie in with that too, there's still the, the show, if you're a Harry Potter fan, the show that's still going on at the Franklin, right? Oh, yeah. Is that exhibit still up? Yeah, it's, it'll be ending in the fall, though. Yeah. Because I know the they're bringing back the Egyptian exhibit is coming afterwards. Yeah, so. we went to go check it out. It was cool, you know, Harry Potter. It's something to do. It was a, it was a thing. Um, well, I got one more thing on the neighborhood. Um, so this is a very interesting topic to me because I thought I was going crazy when I noticed one, and then... Now seeing this article makes me think, oh, no, okay, this is a city initiative. But, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure anybody who drives a car or even rides in a car has noticed that cars nowadays have headlights that are those LED, super bright, blinding, crazy headlights, right? Because we're doing away with different kinds of lights. Well, what other kinds of lights in the city would you think would be replaced by LEDs? What would make logical sense? Well, streetlights for one, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, but the uh, the idea of streetlights being replaced it with if they could use warm LEDs, sure. that's cool. Yeah, they don't. Um, so I was walking. I don't know which block I was on, but I was walking somewhere after dark. I think I was coming home. I must have gotten off the bus and was walking down Germantown at some point. I don't remember exactly where. But anyway, I remember I turned a corner onto the street, and suddenly the whole street was like... 10 times brighter than it was like daylight any part of the street that I had been on and I was like what is happening right now and I thought I was kind of going crazy and I was like well this is sort of nuts but all right whatever and I'm on my merry way and I didn't really think much about it after that fact and then I saw this article so recently in Chestnut Hill I think the street is um where did it say it was it was it's a stop uh, Highland. So recently, the entire street of Highland in Chestnut Hill has been redone. Their streetlights have been redone with LEDs. And yes, they are not warm, soft LEDs, or if they are, that's not how they're reading. But it's, yeah, it's very like, bright. It's like working on the factory floor. Yeah. They're just stark um, and just... The neighbors are not here for it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> like they, like, like the they weren't here for pickleball? Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, so this is the next thing that like is happening. And and the the issue is that, you know, first of all, there was really no discussion of it and that it's part of a citywide initiative, right? So it's well, it's going to happen all over the city. Like right. that is that Ugh. is gonna be the way. So when I clicked into it to be like, all right, so what is the advantage of having these all be LEDs? Well, actually, it's a pretty substantial of. I, I'm sure advantage. if you think about how many light bulbs you're replacing and how much you save per LED, it that's going to add up. 
Yeah, the new bulbs are expected to save about $5.4 million a year in energy costs and cut carbon emissions at a level equivalent to taking nearly 12,000 cars off the road in the city of Philadelphia. So, like, that's all I needed to read to go, yeah, all right, this is okay. bright, and I don't love it, but Deal you know what? It. You know, yeah. But, Savings. But 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 the big picture is that it's it's better for us as a society and as a community. Environmentally conscious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, all about that. You know, and I... <laughs> I mean, I, I I tend not to be one to bask in the evening on the streets in Chestnut Hill much these days anyway. Now, well, they did mention that the ones in Chestnut Hill right now are about 18,000 lumens, which are twice the brightness of the bulbs planned for many of the streets nearby. Yeah, so they don't need to be that bright. Correct. And I've seen, we have warm LEDs, they exist, but... Right, they do, but not for streetlights. So the the trick is going to be getting lower lumened bulbs. That's really mm. what it is. And it's about, you know, cost effectiveness, where we get them from, what the lumens are. So it's unfortunate that Highland is now as bright as the sun in the middle of the night. And anybody who lives near there has a streetlight like shining in there. Well, you know how much like I complain when the floodlight from our neighbor blares into our bedroom window in the middle of the night when, you know, a mm-hmm. groundhog walks past it and sets it off or a cat or something. And suddenly Squirrel. it's like, right. Suddenly it's like, boom. And you're like, well, okay. This whole room is lit up and it's nighttime. Um, and I don't love that. And that's a floodlight. But now imagine if the street light on your street did that and you were like, um, this is the worst. Well, <laughs> I mean, I feel I'm for these people. I do feel. we got a feel. big tree in our front yard. So <laughs> I do feel for these people. But I also am like, you guys got to look at the bigger picture for a second and maybe talk to your councilman and be like, hey, could we please get some lower lumen bulbs, please? Dear councilman. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what are we talking about for our main topic? today well i wanted to talk about distribution of wealth particularly one incident that happened um to a person in the 70s that i just learned about who whose heart was in the right place but it wasn't feasible for him to do all the things that he thought he wanted to do and it is it is such a fascinating story to me um, because he was a person who inherited wealth, right? He didn't he didn't earn it. He didn't work hard for it. He was just, you know, a family member in this family. And it just so happened that he inherited um, a small fortune uh, in the 1970s. And being the young 21-year-old that he was, was like, I'm not okay with this. There's a lot of hunger and hurt and harm in the world, and I want to help. And if giving away all of my money will help that, that's what I want to do. Right. And that concept to me, I think, is super noble and is one that has gone round and round forever. Like, how many times have you heard people say, if Jeff Bezos just gave a fraction of his fortune right. to charity, we'd end world hunger? I mean, I see that pop up on the internet all the time. And I often wonder people who have just more money than they would ever use in their entire lifetime, why don't you? Well, this story actually proves the point of why you don't, why that doesn't happen, why that can't happen, and what would happen if you tried to do that. Okay. And it's a story that people don't know about. I mean, I didn't know about it. It just came across my radar, and I was like, 
what in the world? This story can't be real. And then I did a bunch of research about it. I was like, no, it's 100% true. And it absolutely happened. <laughs> How fascinating. So who's who's the guy? So it is the story of um, Michael James Brody Jr. Do you know who Michael James Brody Jr. is? I do not. Do you know what oleo is? Oleo? Yes. Sounds... Is it like a brand or something? I mean... I have no idea. Sort of. (laughs) Well, if you spend any time with your grandma or your grandfather, they would probably call margarine oleo because oleo was the brand of margarine forever. Margarine. And and so, right. People don't eat that anymore. They don't. But for a long time... They did. They did. Hydrogenated vegetable oil. 100%. Oh, yeah. Margarine. Uh, Because margarine doesn't require refrigeration. It doesn't spoil. It doesn't... There's a lot of things you can do with margarine that you could not do with butter. And it was cheaper, faster, easier. And it's really bad for you. Well, we know that now. We didn't know that then. Don't eat margarine. (laughs) If you find your grandmother's margarine, throw it away. I just remember my grandmother never called it margarine. She always called it oleo. She would be like, would you hand me the oleo? And mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, okay, it's margarine. Um, so one of the first brands of oleo, um, I don't know if they actually give the name here of what it was actually called. But anyway, um, Michael James Brody Jr. was heir to the oleo fortune, basically, okay. in 1970. And... He was sort of the last remaining person in his family. He, his dad had raised him and his dad was like a very hands-off dad. And when his dad passed away, it was actually his mother's fortune. So it was his mother who was related. His mother was already dead. Oh. But they basically had to wait for the grandfather to die. And then when he died, Michael got the money. Wow. Um, And, you know, he spent his time, you know, as an only child and kind of not wanting for anything. You know, he was taken care of. He benefited from a lifestyle that being a descendant of that afforded him in upstate New York. And when he was 21, he comes into, there's some question as to how much it actually was. They think truly it was probably more like $2.5 million, Mm -hmm. which in 1970 is nothing to shake a stick at. But there were also other assets that they've, people have said it might've been as high as $25 million truthfully they're not really sure oh wow yeah so here's this 21 year old he's a flower child he's traveling around living his best life because he doesn't have to work for a living he's just kind of doing his thing yeah people people hanging out at his house all this stuff and have mcdonald's anytime he wants (laughs) and they start talking about the kind of the state of the world right what's happening in 1970 it's the vietnam war it's a lot of a lot of poverty and a lot of terrible well, yeah, things. Yeah, there's huge social cultural happening. movement yeah. happening. Yep. And he didn't want to sit by. He didn't want to just sit there and do nothing. He didn't want to be like, I'm just gonna take my money and you know watch this all happen. He wanted to actively participate. Um, so he books a um, a spot on the Ed Sullivan Show. And that's where it's, it's a little bit gray as to how he got that slot. So he he books a slot to come. Uh, with a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I feel like he probably bought it. Because yeah. he he went on to sing a song. That was it. He was going to sing this song with his guitar. And in the process of this performance, he sings his song. And then, you know, Ed Sullivan used to always interview the right, musician talk, afterwards. Right, talk to the guests. Right. Yep. And he did. And in that interview, he says, I am going to give away all of my money. I'm going to give all my money away. 
to anyone who needs it. If you need it, you just need to ask for it, and I'll give it to you. That's what he says on national television. Oh, my gosh. He then lists his home address and his home phone number. Oh, gosh. And tells people to contact them, to contact him if they need him. If they need anything, if they need money, he will do it. Mm. So you can imagine. <laughs> His, he got a ton of mail. He did get a ton of mail. He got a ton of phone calls. He got yeah. mobbed in the streets. Um, it became a thing. And then, of course, immediately reporters started following him right, every went... second because they want to see like what's going on. He would do things like go to like buildings downtown and downtown New York City and climb up to the top floor and open the you and know throw money uh, out yeah and throw money out into the street just to watch people like you know twenty dollar bills watch people like run and scamper for it like oh, just all, all this kind of crazy crazy erratic stuff and they would interview him every day and they'd just be like how much money did you give away today and he'd be like oh I gave away like thirty thousand dollars today or and then again yes all these letters start piling up and start piling up. And he becomes overwhelmed pretty quickly. So then he's like, okay, look, I need you just to give me a break for a minute. I need you to like, let me get through these letters and let me do what I need to do. But like, but but you have to back off. You have to give me a break. And he kept saying, and if you don't give me a break, I'm I'm just going to call the whole thing off. I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing it. But you've unlocked the beast, right? Yeah, I mean, you just invited the public into your home. That's crazy. And saying you're going to, you're going to give money. To them. And we've seen what happens when that happens. It's a it's a frenzy. It's like a feeding frenzy, right? Like people are just like, yes, yes, please, please, yes. And meanwhile, he doesn't have the time or the resources to open all these letters that are coming in and everything that's happening. And then people start getting frustrated because they're like, you said you would do this. You said that you would do this and you're not doing this. And so then, you know, he can't leave his house because it's crazy. So then he makes another statement and he says okay i'm gonna you know what i can't possibly give away all my money like it's too hard it's it's you know much more difficult than i thought it was going to be so you know what i'll do instead i'm going to go to the white house and i'm going to give nixon a bunch of money and i'm going to end the vietnam war (laughs) and he charters a plane no it's a helicopter sorry he charters a helicopter and he flies to the white house and of course as he gets into like true airspace of the White House, Secret Service is on the radio, and they're like, if you don't change course right now, we will shoot shoot you you out of the sky. And he's like, I'm coming to talk to Nixon. I'm coming. And he he keeps throwing money at the pilot of this helicopter. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Giving him just money, money, money. Oh, my God. And the guy's like, okay. And the guy keeps going, and the guy keeps going. And finally, they were like, this is your last warning. If you don't turn now, we are going to shoot you down. And at that point, like, I mean, he's got his wife who's pregnant in the helicopter with him. Mm-hmm. And he's got other people in the helicopter with him and this pilot. And finally, he looks and he's like, okay, all right, let's go land somewhere else. So they go over to some park where they can actually land this helicopter in mm. the park. And he walks over to the White House. And he literally just walks right up to like the main gate of the White House. And he's like, I'm Michael James Brody Jr. And I want to talk to President Nixon. And immediately, what do they say to him? Uh, 
get out? <laughs> well, they say that Nixon does not speak to anybody who doesn't have an appointment, right? You you, you can talk to the president. You yeah, just have you to, make, have to an make an appointment with them. And it would probably be like six months to a year from when you made the appointment. You would think, right? <laughs> so, and he's like, but I'm going to solve, I'm going to, I'm going to end the Vietnam War. Like I can end the Vietnam War. I've got the money to do it. Well, because his plan, his grand plan, can you, can you guess what his grand plan was to end the Vietnam War? Give all of his wealth to the U.S. federal government? No. Pay off the North Vietnamese to stop fighting South Vietnam. To leave South Vietnam alone. Give them all the money they need. This guy is naive. Right. Give them all the money they need to be their own independent country so they don't need the resources of South Vietnam. So they leave South Vietnam alone. I'm going to make those guys happy (laughs) with all the money. Wow. So, so you see a pattern here, right? He's he's not he's immature, correct? And and while I think he really thought he could make a change, he didn't he didn't think anything through. He just does, right? It's like uh, I yeah, want to do this. I'm going to do this. I want to do this. I'm going to because do this. no one who actually thought it through would actually go on national television and say, "Here's my address. Here's my phone number. Please contact me if you need money." So how long, if you were guessing, how long do you think Oh years. This, no, no, no. How long do you think this whole circus from I want I'm gonna give away all of my money to this is completely over and I'm gonna drop away and hide in obscurity? How long do you think it was from, from point A to point B? Um I wanna say maybe five to ten years. Ten days. Ten days. Ten days from the Ed Sullivan show until he went into hiding and was done. He entirely. just disappeared. Just disappeared. And that was... I mean, they knew where he was, but he, he left. He moved homes. He went to a different home. He just he just faded away. Like, he was just like, was like uh, uh, just uh, kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. And he just I, faded I just, away. I really just want to play video games the rest of my life and eat grilled cheese sandwiches. Well, wow. things that was happening toward the end of those 10 days were that he was trying, he was writing checks to people and they were bouncing because the bank would only allow him to withdraw so much money at a time, right? When you come from that kind of wealth, when you've got that in the right, the bank's not just going to yeah. like give you all your money right away, right? They don't have it right away. That's not how banks it work. It may be more the conditions of the trust that pays him out. Could be. But I also know that like the reason why runs on banks are so dangerous is because banks don't have that much money. Well, that's like, the other thing too, is your money's actually not all liquid. It's 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 invested right. money. Right. Yep. Yeah. So I mean imagine somebody who's, you know, probably got the largest account at this bank is just uh, I'd like writing to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Of check. Million dollars right. Today, today. In cash. right. Yeah. Like that's not happening. So that was happening. And of course, you know, people are getting, you know, more crazy about it. He had already um, changed the address for letters. So now he has, I forget how many they said, but it was something crazy like, you know, 17 or 18 of those big giant mailbags full of letters at his house. And then he gives another address of a woman who who he was helping um, build like or, or helping he was investing in her shelter in, I think it was, it was either the Bronx or Harlem. It was one of those two places. Sorry. Anyway, it was one of those two places. And he gave her address, the address of her building, like where she worked out of, to mail letters to. So she starts getting 
big bags full of letters, right? Even after he's been like, this is over and I'm not doing oh, this anymore. Her address is still floating out there. Right. And I mean, and that didn't go on too terribly long because once he truly disappeared and dropped out of like the public eye, he. Out of you know, sight, out of mind. Right. People stopped. But yeah, 10 days, 10 days start to finish. Wow. The whole thing. And what's interesting is now fast forward to about, I think it was like two years ago. Uh-huh. Um, and this intern for a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker, was cleaning out his storage closet and she found six boxes, like just up on the top of a shelf and they were all sealed. And so she opened them up to see like what's in these boxes. And they were hundreds and hundreds of letters unopened and they were all addressed to Mr. Brody. And she was like, what are these? And she asked him and he said, oh yeah, um, it was this crazy eccentric millionaire from the 70s who was going to give away all of his money and it went really badly. And then, you know, a few years later, you know, nobody knew who he was or whatever. And it was just kind of a fascinating story. And I was going to do a movie about it. I was going to write a movie, like a, you know, a narrative, like mm-hmm. a, um, a biopic. There we go. I was going to write a biopic about it and, and film this movie. And I was going to use these, these letters as research. But I got busy with other things and I never did it. And I just stuck them up on the shelves. And she says, she's like, can I do that? Right. Well, and, and she was like, are these the only letters? And he was like, oh, no. He's like, there are people all over the country who have boxes of letters. His son has, I think, I think it's 27 Rubbermaids, big Rubbermaid oh containers God. full of letters. Wow. Right. Then there are other people who at some point had wanted to do a story or a documentary or whatever who have them. So they're they're around. They're like spread out. But in every instance, the people who have these letters they're all unopened. Not a right. single one of them is open. They're all just sealed wow. letters addressed to him. So Dreams and hopes just sealed and never opened. So she decides to open them and to find these people. And her documentary, yes, is partially about him. It is about his story. It is about what happened. There's footage. There's interviews with his so, wife. Okay. Not to interrupt, but mm-hmm. what did happen to him? So he went into obscurity... And he died at the age of 24. He died at the age of 24. He did. Let me guess. OD. Self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And one of the big things that came out after he sort of disappeared was that he had said in a couple interviews that he had been, of course, tripping when he came up with this idea to give away his money. Oh, boy. Um, it also came out that the people closest to him were giving him PCP which PCP really messes up your mind. It, you know, delusions of grandeur is really like understated when it comes to what PCP can do to you. And so there was that. He spent the last year of his life. So this all happened when he was like 21. And by the time he was 24, he was dead. The last year and a half of his life was spent in and out of mental hospitals, like trying to sort of rebuild who he was. And, you know, he had a son at this point, a young son and his wife was with him, but, trying to get him help and yeah it was it's definitely a very tragic story in in that aspect and it's very hard to say was he mentally ill and that's why he tried to give away all of his money and this just like pushed him over the top or just just the money itself Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i'll tell you not that i've known anyone who's inherited lots of money but i knew someone who was the product of a divorced family and both of his parents were 
independently wealthy people and just the way they played him against each other he had serious mental illness as a result of that so i guess switching back to the point of the documentary then what you know she ended up really focusing on the the people who had written the letters in to yes. him so the story was really about their story correct like with his story peppered in throughout mm-hmm. right so you get his story all through it but then you also get the story of these people in these letters a lot of the letters were written by minors children under really? the age of 18 a lot of them a lot of them were and and so she was able to find these people who are now like in their 60s yeah <laughs> right but they were like 14 and 15 year olds at the time and they wrote this letter and they were writing because they had seen it on the ed sullivan show and they were writing on behalf to help their family right these were like my parents struggle almost like you're writing to santa claus right like you know it would be great if you could help with this or one girl, actually, she wasn't asking for money for herself or her family. She was asking him to donate money to the Easter seals because the Easter seals is who gave money to her family to pay for really expensive hearing aids for her brother mm-hmm. who was born deaf. They're like cochlear kind of you know, implant. Yeah. Yeah. And he was able to get those through Easter seals because they were very expensive. And she was saying we were very fortunate and blessed to, to get this for my brother and now he can hear as well as he can. But if you would please donate to them so they can help someone else like my brother. So there were, there were letters like that. In one case, the one that like really got me was she found this girl who I think, I think she was 16 when she wrote the letter and she was talking about how her parents always fought and how it was always about money and and Mm. such a struggle and they didn't have much. And she, you know, she didn't mind that, you know, she didn't have the newest clothes to go to school and everything, but, but she hated the most was listening to her parents fight and struggle and, you know, how hard her dad was working, but they just still couldn't seem to get above water. If they could please, if you could please just give them some money, then maybe things would be better. They would, you know, stop fighting and they would, they would go back to the way things used to be. And, you know, whatever was a really touching letter. And when she was finished reading, here's this like 60 year old woman reading this letter. Mm -hmm. And the documentarian says, now I want to show you another letter. And she slides another letter in front of her and it's from her mom. It's a letter her mom had written him. Oh, wow. And she had no idea that her mother had written a letter and she was like, this is my mother. And she was like, yep. And it was unopened. So this girl opened the letter. Oh my God. And read the letter from her mother. Right there. And and the letter from her mother was exactly, it was like, we live in a log house. We're struggling. You know, my husband is so unhappy. He's so depressed. I'm so worried about him. I'm worried he's going to do something rash because he just doesn't know what else to do. And like just a little bit of money would really help. Mm. Like, could you, you know, it was just, I mean, this woman wow. was just, ball- it was crazy. And the fact that this girl out of these boxes that made it to her would happen to have both of those letters in it. Like, I know. What are the odds? Well, yeah, considering there's what you said, tens of thousands of letters. So many letters. Yeah. And that's the ones that we have. So they estimate that probably the same amount, if not more, were discarded. So these these are the ones that got collected and something happened to them. Mm -hmm. They think they're even more that people like, didn't know what to do with and they got thrown away. Wow. Because that's how, I mean, it was national. Ed Sullivan's a national show. These letters mm-hmm. came from everywhere, everywhere. It was, it was an insane situation, but 
the girl who did the documentary, after she did the ones, you know, she she sort of lumped them by kind of what they were about. Mm-hmm. And she said there's a, you know, a, a large chunk of them, which are people actually, you know, asking for money for reasons of why they need it. Then there's another group of, of letters that aren't asking for anything. They're literally just saying, thank you. What you're doing is so great. Like, thank you for wow, for just, wanting just to do this and praise. for wanting to help. And, you know, we need more people like you. I hope this is the way the world is going. Very, very supportive. Then there is a, a, a smaller group of letters, but but a, still a group of that letters. That were bashing him for it, I'm sure. Not right? really bashing, but kind of letting him know that there are so many other ways he could help and and have much a bigger impact and a, exactly. and a more profound impact and, and i'm sorry but that's the voice of reason right there right where people were like you know it's nice that you want to do this but this is not the way to go about this yeah. you should think about consider this or consider that in the days before the internet <laughs> this is basically the equivalent of going viral right i mean that's what this is hundreds of thousands of people well yeah chiming instead of in getting emails a... and text messages it's snail mail right and phone calls yeah yep. Like the, no doubt. It. So, yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't have a happy ending. Um, Usually in the sense when it involves that, you know, money, he, he it doesn't. But his descendants, his wife and his son, are were willing participants in this documentary. And you can find the documentary online. And it is called Dear Mr. Brody. It's really good. It's very interesting. So um, I'm assuming then his family just inherited whatever money was his, right? Yeah, when he was 24. So yeah. his, yeah, his... Um, wife and his son, um, whatever was left, which there's some question as to if what was left, that's where the question of how much he actually had okay. was because you know he was saying he was going to give away $25 million and he did spend a lot. In 10 days, he did things like charter entire planes and that helicopter. And, you know, I mean, and, and prior to that, he was spending money pretty intensely for his honeymoon when he mm-hmm. married his wife he bought out an entire 727 so they'd have the whole plane to themselves oh to fly home gosh. from their honeymoon right so he was already hemorrhaging money to begin with yeah but before he got the idea to be like i'm going to give it all away and then he was giving it all away until the bank said no you can't and that's where the question of were they saying you can't because he couldn't take out that much at a time or was there nothing left at that point, and they mm. never addressed that question in the documentary because that wasn't really the point. Yeah. Right? Um, but I found it a really fascinating story because, again, you know, you think about it, and you're like, "Yeah, we we say that all the time. I've seen it all the time. If, if, if the Americas or the world's billionaires all just gave, you know, one fourth of their fortunes, like we could cure, solve all of the world's poverty." And it's like, could we like and and how would how would you feasibly make that happen? Well, it it brings into question, though, this bigger idea of, well, should billionaires even exist? The American custom of tipping where in Europe, when you buy a meal, that gratuity is sort of built in already because people make a decent wage doing that kind of work versus being dependent on whether or not the customer is in a good mood that day and feels like tipping or based on your performance. So in that sense, I don't think we should be dependent on billionaires to gift their their monies to charities or some worthy cause. But that's that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> it is. It is. But yeah, that's what I just that story intrigued me. 
I it opened up a lot of questions and I had a lot of thoughts about it and so I was like let's talk about it on the show that's all no I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up it's like I said it, it could be a good conversation over the, the bigger context mm-hmm. of things for sure but cool well Hopefully, everyone out there enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Please stick around for our musical guest, a personal friend of ours, Mr. Jared Taylor. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. All right, well, welcome back, everybody. Now it's time for our favorite segment, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And today we're joined by none other than our dear family friend, Jared Taylor. I'm a musician in the neighborhood. You are That's a musician me. in the neighborhood. You've been That's a musician crazy. in the neighborhood for a long time. You've been making music yeah, forever. That's that's true. That's true. <laughs> I have. One hundred percent. Well, tell us a little bit about it. Tell us tell us when you started making music. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I started making music. Well, I've I've always been making music in some form or another, but I actually the first thing I ever did that I can recall was I took drum lessons when I was like five. Um, it was somewhere on the Ave. I'm not exactly sure, but, um, I started with that. Um, I have a memory of when I was like seven or eight, uh, my grandparents and my parents invited my family and like the neighbors and they all sat in my grandmother's backyard, uh, and I was going to do a concert and then I was way too scared. Uh, and I did not, I don't think I performed anything. I think I was going to like sing along to like a karaoke track of like Daydream Believer. <laughs> um something like that. Um Yeah, I've I've been doing music for a long time, but for a long time like when I was younger, I had really bad stage fright and getting into acting, you, Mary Angela getting me into acting like helped me to overcome that stage fright starting by like just being on the stage and being around a stage and then talking on the stage and then speaking and being embarrassing on a stage. (laughs) Um, And then that has sort of led to me being like, well, I I could probably sing on a stage. Um, And that's, that's what I do sometimes now. That's awesome. Yeah. I seem to recall remembering you singing um, like at a, in the choir, like at a concert, I think that might have been. Mm-hmm. It was for the longest time. It was Billy yeah, Joel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. I was in. That was so odd because there, the in, at my middle school. Once you got into middle school, there was no. There was only a a a girl a girl choir. Um, there wasn't a boys choir, and myself and a couple of the other boys who had been in choir in fifth grade when we got and got into sixth grade we talked to our music teacher and we were like we we kind of want to still sing stuff and instead of just putting us in the choir or making another choir she was like you're gonna be in a boy band we're gonna call it a boy band and we're gonna make you wear matching outfits and there's only gonna be seven of you and you're gonna rehearse at my house on a saturday uh and you're gonna sing for the longest time and uh that thing you do from the movie yep that thing you do mm-hmm. and so that was the thing that did happen in I my do, life i do recall that <laughs> 
I do recall. So- it's unfortunate you recall that. And it's unfortunate <laughs> that I've now recalled it into the internet for all of time. It's okay. We don't have any footage of it, so you're safe. Um, there might be. Don't, <laughs> don't go looking for that. Listeners. Um, so let's talk about uh, your instrument. What what do you play now? Um, so I generally uh, stick with uh, guitar and vocals, usually acoustic, um, but also electric if the song calls for it. But like when I'm writing, when I'm creating, I am on my acoustic and I my vocals. Nice. Yeah. Well, you're looking at me to ask questions here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if anything, I, I feel like anything I bring up here is just really a trip down from memory lane. Because, uh, I, I mean, I guess if anything, I, I would I would maybe bring up some of the contributions you've made, not, not just musically, but in combination with writing uh, specifically for some video content that, you know, we've put some projects mm-hmm. together around yeah. in the past. Mm-hmm. But you've made music for short films. You wrote our musical, our award-winning musical. You you were a part of that. I was. I was. Yeah. Um that was that was a good time. Both I mean both of both of the times that we've done um not I don't know how much of anything that I that I came up with made it into uh made it into feminine. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's um, what I was, I was referring yeah, to yeah. the that time or the best time of the year. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one, I'll be honest, I don't remember much from that. Uh, my memory goes back about two years at a time, so anything <laughs> I don't anything before that is kind of gone. Um, I don't know why. Well, but... it was an award-winning musical. <laughs> it and was. People do it really was. like it, and you did have a and hand. I in did writing. Write. I did write that song part of it we wrote that together yeah Yeah, that was really cool yeah but you've been active i mean musically and it looks like just about every any any opportunity you've had so you did tell us a little bit about um is it big fish right yeah yeah so um yeah so kind of continuing um the story of of like my musical career because i like i was doing music separately um i specifically started like writing my own music and doing like playing guitar um right around the time that i started doing acting Mm -hmm. with you um maybe like a year before i think fifth grade was when i first started taking lessons um but i always had the idea that i did not want to ever do them together i was like i like to do music i like to sing and i like to act but I don't want to ever do them together. And all of my friends who were actors and like theater kids were all in the musicals and they were like, you should do the musical. You should do it. And I was like, I I don't really want to do the musical. Um, But then all of my friends were in it my junior year. And I felt so much FOMO because they would all be like, all right, bye. We're going to stay here for two hours. And I would just go home Um, that I was like, I'll audition the next year. And I, managed to swing the lead um <laughs> yeah which was very cool uh so my one and only oh well no i was in it junior year actually maybe i was thinking sophomore year right junior year i was but hey, junior guys, year i was like a ensemble member. i was ensemble i was right. the star of the ensemble not to brag but that's acting and this isn't about acting <laughs> um i hate acting 
and nothing else from here on will be about acting except for the song I'm going to sing. But um, yeah, so I was in Big Fish and that was really fun because that was combining my two loves, um, but it was also really focusing on the singing, which is not something that I had like focused on training and improving. I had always focused on improving a guitar and when my voice improved, it improved. Um, so that was a really fun experience to kind of being the lead of just like getting to work with people who were trying to tell me, uh, how to make my voice better. And I feel like it helped me a lot in the long run musically. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now uh, you go off to college and you decide to start mm-hmm. um, dabbling in, in more music and music production. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, so I was I was actually really torn when I was applying for colleges. I was really trying to decide between trying to go to college for music and going to college for theater. And actually on my very first day, there are in my Snapchat memories, there's like a 10 minute like breakdown of me (laughs) on my very first day of college where I went to all of the acting things. And then I went and I saw there's like an electronic music ensemble at temple and someone was playing an electric clarinet and it made me weep. (laughs) And then I was like, I have to switch majors. I can't do this. And then I didn't. And I spent two years as a theater major. uh, And then I dropped out because I realized I should have switched in the beginning. Um, So I did do theater school, but um, in the interim, in my free time, I was, you know, clicking around in GarageBand and figuring out how to make things sound nice and recording music um and in my dorm room when my roommate was going home for the weekend uh, and then later when he dropped out I recorded my first single and I recorded my first EP on a USB mic in my dorm at 2 a.m. Nice what tell us about it yeah it's usually when the inspiration hits right yeah 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 no uh, I definitely I got a lot of songs out of being sad and sitting on my rug um, next to my far too tall bed. Um, yeah, so my um, my debut single uh, is called was is called Catalyst and Chaos. It came out. I put it out in like January of 2020, I think. When you say when you put it out, what what, what platforms? Uh, I put it out. I put it out on through you know whatever distro I used onto Spotify and uh, Apple Music and places like that so most places that you can hear it um it's actually not on Bandcamp because uh when I was trying to put it on Bandcamp uh I couldn't find the (laughs) I the person who I just got it like mastered through Fiverr and the person who mastered it did not label it well and I didn't label it when I got it so I couldn't figure out which master I had uploaded so and I was like I I can't put different songs out (laughs) um so, yeah, it's been really cool. I feel like over the last year I've learned a lot and like at, like as I was in my dorm and I was recording my music, uh, I was then like, okay, well, I've recorded it now. How do I make it sound good? Because this sounds really bad. <laughs> and I started f- trying to figure out dabbling uh, and then more heavily dabbling in learning about the production side of music um and that's kind of where my life is going now so even if i'm not playing music in your neighborhood i am i'm uh sitting with a computer you can be working on 
yeah. music. Yeah. So I understand you had a gig at a at Porchfest recently. Yeah, yeah, I did. That was technically my first gig that I've ever played. Like, like a for 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 real legit gig. Like, yeah, like I've gone to open mics, but this was one where I could be like, I'm playing a show that. Did I'm... you get paid so, for Porchfest? No, Porchfest. Oh, okay. Porchfest is free. Um, I mean, I got. I got paid in in food. <laughs> I mean that's yeah. that's perfect. exposure. Was, yeah, yeah, definitely an exposure. I got like I got like four people following me, and my name was kind of small on Andy's sign in his front yard. So <laughs> that was kind of awesome. Um, yeah, it was really cool to f- get out there and perform. Just in general, because I I do love to perform. Um, and performing my own stuff was really uh rewarding and a lot of fun um and by the time when is this coming out this is july yeah so by the time this is out this will have already happened but um i'm currently also playing a show in uh powers park on june 21st Mm. which i'm also looking forward to i'm very excited about that and i've been talking to some people about trying to play some more shows in the area so i wish i had shows far enough out to advertise but but i don't it's okay well yeah we'll shout, we'll shout out some of them for this you. is your yeah. promo right here yeah so you're gonna play something live for us today yeah we've, we've got in studio not only in studio guests but in studio live performance today yeah yeah uh i w- was sitting at my computer frantically this morning and I was like, nothing I have is mixed enough yet, <laughs> um, which is the perpetual problem that you never think it's mixed enough. Uh, so instead, I'm just going to do uh, something live because I can't worry about that. That's something that I've taken from like theater in that like I really enjoy just doing something and then I can step back and I don't have to like think about it. I don't have to get in my head. That's something that... And actually, very aptly, this song that I'm going to play um, is uh, kind of about that process. So what's the song called? Uh, the song is called Self Tape. Um, and yeah, it's about um, it's about being an actor and kind of the, the worst parts of it. Um, in general, this is something that happens as an actor, but especially in the pandemic, a large part of acting is standing in front of a camera in a room by yourself Mm -hmm. and just saying the lines with no one to bounce off of and then watching it back and feeling terrible. And then, you know, you put far more time into it than I think, excuse me, than I think would happen on on a stage where if you go to a live audition you do the audition and then you leave and you can't watch it back and think about how bad you did um it's kind of it's kind of dehumanizing in a way you know to just like sit there and pour your heart out to your laptop or to your ring light and then open up an email and send it off and hope that somebody cares enough out of the hundreds of submissions that they're getting to tell you that you're not getting cast. Yeah. Um, yeah it's like putting a message in a bottle. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So that that's what this, that's what this song is about. Awesome. Well, let's hear it. Give it a ring. Yeah. This is self tape.
blank wall Empty slate Don't have time to waste Beat the deadline Flip a screen Photo flash Let the moment pass Speak the red lines Look at me through the little lens Watch me play pretend Monetize my escape Analyze my self-tape Take a breath State your name Tell who you became Who you once were In and out Know your place Such a pretty face Once an actor Look at me through the little lens Watch me play pretend Monetize my escape Analyze my self-tape Find me somewhere off the page Give me someone else to be If I prove I can act my age range Will you finally notice me? Look at me through the little lens Watch me play pretend Monetize my escape Analyze my self-tape My self-tape My self-tape Analyze my self-tape My self-tape My self-tape Analyze my self-tape Nice. Hey, Thanks. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. all those areas are like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So you get that all 
mixed down and ready for release and you want to do a music video, you let me know. <laughs> Will I do. Because like, I got do. some actors, I can already see it oh, in yeah. my head how that goes down. Yeah, uh, um, all of my best friends are actors. Yeah. And so that, shout out to all my actors. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, where can people follow you then? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Jared H. Taylor. You can follow me on Twitter at Jared H. Taylor with a zero instead of an O in Taylor. And there is a story about that. And there is a song about that, but it's not out. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with yeah, us. Yeah. Thank today. you for having this me. This was great. We really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. And we will definitely stay tuned and see what you got coming next. Great. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a good night. Thank you. Well, thanks everyone for listening. It's been another wonderful episode of What Do You Know About That? Yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have any thoughts about anything we discussed today, please, or even some ideas for things we should discuss, give us a shout out uh, on email, which is whatdoyouknowgtown at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Facebook or Instagram at What Do You Know About That? All right. Sounds like a plan. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye, everybody.